1 Peter 2 verse 4. Now, some of you over the years may have wondered why the congregation upstairs is called Living Stones. Um, many in the locale think it's named after David Livingstone, uh, the famous African explorer. And I did unsuccessfully try and change, get the management of the church upstairs when we were in it to change the name to Mockham Community Church, which had quite a lot of support because ordinary Joe doesn't know what Living Stones refers to. However, today... We are going to learn what living stones refer to. So anybody ever asks you, um, then you'll know. So I'm going to read from verse 4. The living stone and a chosen people. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are uh, the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Whenever we come to a, a passage like this, um, we need to understand its context uh, in the Old Testament. We need to understand its context in Jesus' day and the years immediately uh, after he went to be with the Father. And we need to understand its relevance for us uh, today. The title for today's talk is uh, all tied in with a new identity. And we have to understand that the people that Peter was writing to uh, were not in Jerusalem, uh, although some of the Jerusalem people may have eventually read the story, but they're uh, seeking to find their identity as a group of believers uh, in a spiritual climate that may not have been very uh, positive uh, towards them. And some of them may have been from a Jewish background, but some of them may not have come from that background at all. So then we begin to look at the phrases that uh, Peter uses and look at what lies behind those phrases. So we begin to understand uh, where the link is to the Old Testament, what it means for those believers then, and what it means for us today. We're going to ask some questions and we're going to seek to answer them. These include, who are you and who are we? How do we make sense of life and what is the place of a nurturing community in making sense of life? Let's just stop and reflect on the key visual image in uh, the passage. This relates to the use of the phrase cornerstone. What would we know and understand about cornerstones? I was just uh, chatting to Lee 
uh, before we started, and we were trying to work out where the cornerstone might be in this building. Um, and if we could find it, um, it might well have the height above sea level uh, and various other information items on it that would uh, help anybody who discovered it uh, understand its history and where it belonged and who had put it there. Many people in our current society and in ancient society invested the cornerstone with a lot of mystical significance. So the Freemasons, for instance, uh, who have a branch here uh, in town, uh, would often, uh, when they were building Masonic buildings, uh, pour out offerings of oil and wine and all kinds of things on the cornerstone as part of their dedication uh, of uh, the building. So there was a tradition, uh, often in pagan societies, of burying uh, people, often alive, underneath the cornerstone uh, to ward off uh, evil uh, spirits. And so there's all these traditions associated with the cornerstones of buildings. And into this comes Peter uh, with this Jewish understanding uh, of cornerstone, which is much more down-to-earth, which is much more practical. It wouldn't be uh, just any old piece of rock on the building site. It would be a piece of carefully hewn stone, uh, which could be used, um, to use modern technology uh, terminology, uh, as a data point uh, for the rest of the building. But to use more of an old school way of saying it, it, it was a reference point. You would put it on a corner and it would bridge uh, two walls, often uh, at the front of the building, um, and you would take all your lines uh, and all your di um, dimensions and everything else from that key reference point. So the image I want us to hold on to is the idea of the cornerstone as a reference point, a way of measuring uh, how the building is going to be constructed and ensuring that it has firm, well-founded foundations that uh, can be uh, built on. It was an Old Testament image, uh, and it, here it is applied to Christ. Instead of it being an inanimate piece of rock, the cornerstone in this passage is thought of as a living stone. So we begin to then see that our foundation in our Christian lives and our reference point is this living stone, uh, and that is Jesus. But then uh, the passage goes on to suggest that in some way we too are living stones. And at some point in 1981, that was no doubt the discussion that was being had upstairs when they decided on the name uh, of uh, the community church. It's all rooted back into uh, Old Testament passages, including Isaiah 28. Uh, verse 16, which is one of the early cornerstone uh, passages. In the Old Testament, the cornerstone is used to imply that people had rejected the wisdom of God. They had uh, refused to build on that cornerstone. They'd followed after their own desires and their own uh, beliefs. They had rejected the wisdom of God, but now Peter is telling us that Jesus is the cornerstone. And we know from other passages, uh, including Proverbs 8, that Jesus is the wisdom of God. He's described as wisdom. So there is a new wisdom that has come, and that's going to be the cornerstone uh, 
of uh, God's impartation uh, to humanity. But the Old Testament passages also tell us that the cornerstone was a stumbling block uh, to some. And we are reminded of this in the New Testament context when uh, they go to the temple uh, to dedicate Jesus um, and Simeon, the old prophet, comes out and reminds them and tells them that he's going to be a sign that is spoken against and a stumbling block uh, for some. So we have this understanding that whilst Jesus uh, is, the, is a strong, reliable foundation for the building, that his message will be spoken against and some will stumble over it. And as we are going out with the gospel, uh, and the way we live it, the way we talk it, everything else, we have to recognise that sometimes people will not see the truth of it. They will not see the wisdom of it. And in fact, they will speak against it. They will stumble over it. They will reject uh, the core uh, message. Having established this cornerstone idea, Peter then goes on and says that we are being built into uh, a spiritual house. So he moves from describing the foundation into what is being built into us uh, because we are resting on uh, the cornerstone. We are being built. Jesus is our reference point and uh, we are building a spiritual house. Let's just step back out again and say the previous understanding uh, before Jesus came along was pretty much that God uh, could be everywhere but that he dwelt in the temple at Jerusalem. That if you wanted to find a thin place where you could meet him, you would go to the temple. He might come to you in other situations, but he was there in the Holy of Holies. That was the understanding. And uh, Jesus got into a lot of trouble because he said the temple was going to be destroyed um, and that he was the new temple and that the presence of God wasn't going to dwell uh, in a building, it was going to dwell in a person and then it was going to dwell in a people. And the uh, um, <clears throat> We were then described as temples of the Holy Spirit. A phrase that my mum and dad often used to me back in the day when warning me against the, you know, denigrations and sufferings of the world that would be smitten upon me if I wasn't careful, you know. You're a temple of the Holy Ghost. Don't be smoking those cigarettes and drinking that wine. Um, not that I was ever particularly tempted to smoke cigarettes. But, but there you go. So Jesus was one in whom God dwelt. And now the Spirit of God is dwelling in us. But it's helpful for us to move away from this Western individualistic idea that this passage is all about us as individuals. Because actually uh, it's about us in the sense of we. And uh, although we do have individual experiences of God and individual relationships with God, in the ancient Near East way of thinking, you didn't think of yourself as, uh, I'm Fred Bloggs, you know, and uh, I'm a highly individualistic person and uh, I just want God to make me happy and give me money and cars and, you know, or in those days it would have been a really nice chariot, you know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> you thought of yourself as embedded in something else. 
So, if you were a Roman living in Rome, how did you find your identity? You joined a guild. And uh, it might be a guild that was along the lines of the profession that you were in. And uh, they would provide a little bit of support. Um, you know, times were tough. And uh, famine was in the land. Your guild might look after you. In Israel, you often were referred to according to what town you came from. So that people could have a reference point for who you were. So it was Joseph of Arimathea, Simon of Cyrene, Jesus of Nazareth. And so people could begin to place where you came from. They might know somebody from that town or that place. They might know what the spirituality was around that town or that place. So you were seen as an individual, but actually a lot of the time you were seen in terms of what you belonged to. And what you belonged to or were part of uh, spoke a great deal to your identity. And a lot of the time, you know, you... Now that's still in action all around the world. Um, I, uh, I was ministering in Singapore and I invited people to stand if they wanted prayer. And they were like, nobody was moving. And it wasn't because I was useless that day. Um, it was because uh, in their culture they didn't like to stick out. They didn't like to stand out. They didn't like to make a fuss, if you see what I mean. Um, and so there's cultures all around the world where people fade themselves into the background. But here in the West, we tend to fade ourselves into the foreground in a lot of areas uh, of life. So, when Jesus comes and makes temples of us, we should be thinking about the fact that he is inhabiting us, both individually, but also in our togetherness. Um, he's inhabiting uh, uh, us when we cooperate together, where two or three are gathered in his name. Uh, then he is in the midst. He's drawing close to us when we're doing things together as well as when we're relating to him uh, apart. So we're being built into a spiritual house. A spiritual house has many rooms, uh, many windows, many doors, and all of those kind of things. I've written here, he dwells in us, speaks through us, and is embodied in our choices and actions. We view church as a community not just as a collection of individuals. The passage then goes on to talk about a holy priesthood and then later on about a royal priesthood. Roman and Jewish ears would have been startled by this status change. So your ordinary Joe from somewhere just outside Jerusalem, you don't have any concept that you're in any way related to uh, the, the line of David. Jesus is related to the line of David, uh, but you may have no feeling that you're part of that. You're never going to be a Levite. You weren't born into that tribe, which especially served God. And so you have a situation where Peter uh, is saying that there's a royal priesthood, a holy priesthood, and that we're all part of it. So the average Jewish here would have been perking up and saying, well, I'm not a member of the line of David. And by the way, are you saying that that um, Galatian over there is part of the priesthood because, you know, up until he started coming to our meetings, he was a pagan. Why, why are you giving him all this status? But this passage is telling us that those of us who have put ourselves uh, into relationship uh, with Jesus uh, are part of this royal priesthood and this holy priesthood. The Roman ears would have been the same. They'd have been like, 
Well, this royal language, I mean, you know, the only royalty I know is the emperor. And uh, I'm on grade five of the males. And you're telling me, you know, because the Romans had six grades of males. You're telling me that I'm part of a royal priesthood and a holy priesthood, when in fact I'm one of the lowliest people in this society. And that's exactly what Peter is saying. So the message of Jesus is the great leveller uh, of uh, uh, hierarchy uh, in a society. There was a group in the UK in the 1600s who were actually called the levellers. Um, and um, uh, no relation to the uh, rock band that toured very widely in the 70s and 80s, uh, although they were borrowing some ideas from the levellers. And uh, the levellers were great. I mean, they uh, were very into community evangelism. So a lot of their uh, venues for their meetings were in pubs. Um, and uh, they had the printing presses down in the cellars and, and all this kind of stuff. And if we were to be transported back to 1638 or whenever, we could sit comfortably in a leveller meeting. We'd be thinking, oh, yeah, this is just like... Just like mosaic Sunday afternoon, you know. <laughs> Apart from, you know, all run out the back door if somebody sounds the alarm because they're coming to arrest us. Uh, which was no joke, you know. If you didn't turn up at your local Anglican church and uh, they marked the register and you weren't there, they could fine you and imprison you. That's why Bunyan ended up in prison and wrote Pilgrim's Progress, uh, Holy War and all those other books. So, um, back in the day... Before the printed Bible came along, and when the printed Bible came along, uh, you could be arrested if you had more than eight people in your house studying the Bible. And this is not in communist Russia or Maoist China. This is in the UK, um, uh, three or four hundred years ago. So we've come a long way. All can be priests. The works reserved for Levites are now designated to us, uh, all of us. All believers can now gain direct access to the Father through Jesus. We are uh, joint heirs, co-heirs with Christ uh, in the kingdom and as part of God's family. So that's quite a big deal, you know, in the great scheme of things. We're then called to offer spiritual sacrifices. So, do you know, spiritual sacrifice, one of them phrases where you're sitting there thinking, that sounds incredibly vague. What does it actually mean? Shall I start my guilt trip now or maybe a little later? You know, toiling away last thing at night, thinking, oh, I haven't offered a spiritual sacrifice today. I shall be smitten from on high. 1 Peter 4, verse 7 to 11 can be quite helpful. And so let me summarize that passage from 1 Peter 4. Peter calls on this. Uh, in the name of uh, Jesus, to be alert. <coughs> so to live intentionally, on purpose. Not to always be letting life happen to us, but for us to lift our head up and say, this is what I believe, this is where I'm going. Tentatively, with humility, but nevertheless, this is the way I'm going. And then he says, love deeply. Love deeply. I, sometimes when I can't sleep, I, I, I listen to videos on YouTube. And um, uh, most times when I do that, I listen to the Black Eyed Peas and Ariana Grande singing Where Is The Love at the One Love concert in Manchester after the bombing um, not so long ago. And 
whatever the faith stance of will I am is now, um, or was then, he sings, um, uh, as, well, it's a searing prophetic critique of the brokenness of society today. One of the guys comes out and he says uh, that uh, the disease of violence is spreading like bacteria um, and, you know, and all of these kind of things. And then says, uh, kids doing what they've seen in the cinema, you know, and which rhymes with bacteria. Um, <laughs> if I, remember it really? I can't remember it in exact sequence, but... Um, but the, the, the payoff chorus line is, Father, Father, send a message from above. Where is the love? And really, at the core of our whole message is the love of God expressed in Jesus. Of course we're concerned about sin. Of course we're concerned about brokenness in the world. Of course we are uh, concerned with uh, the everyday frailties that sometimes bring us into conflict with one another. But the undergirding thing that we need to understand is that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He also told us that they would know us by our love. And P Peter is returning to this theme here where he says love deeply. Love deeply helps us get past the offensive behaviour that we sometimes encounter. Love deeply takes us beyond judgment and into compassion. Love deeply is a thing that we could all benefit from meditating on. But Peter doesn't kind of just leave it hanging there as if it's an emotion that we have to will into being. Um, and sometimes it is. You know. <laughs> sometimes it is an emotion we have to will into being. But he also says, give hospitality. Everybody look at Sharon now. This is her big thing. <laughs> give hospitality. And so it's very concrete. Who are you going to love? Who are you going to help? Who are you going to care for? Who are you going to walk alongside when they're walking through a tough thing? Give hospitality. Amazing the thing about Jesus is that he often gives hospitality outside, but receives hospitality inside. So outside, he's on the beach, and he gives hospitality to the disciples who cooks them fish. He gives hospitality to a crowd of 5,000 men, plus probably 5,000 women, plus probably 10,000 kids. He gives hospitality to 20,000 people uh, out on the plain. But then he invites himself into the place where he's not supposed to go and receive hospitality, like Zacchaeus's house and you know some of these uh, other people. Matthew, the tax collector's house. So part of the spiritual sacrifice, alert, love deeply. And that love will sometimes be quite super, super, uh, not superficial, sacrificial. Hopefully it's not superficial. Um, give hospitality, speak of Jesus, and serve others. Now, spiritual sacrifices are no small thing. All of those lines are actually quite challenging. Be alert, love deeply, give hospitality, speak of Jesus, serve others. And so, becoming a Christian is not just, uh, okay, we'll pray for you now. Oh, your emotions will suddenly all become even, and everything will be lovely. You'll wake up every morning with wonderful thoughts, and you'll have no more struggle. That's not the way it actually happens. But we are called upon to undergird ourselves with the wisdom and the foundations that will help us walk through those things 
um, and uh, respond to them. And then finally, I was watching a comedian yesterday. <laughs> He's saying, you know, when a preacher says something finally, he usually means there's another 15 minutes. Um, I estimate it's probably another 10 looking at these <laughs> two pages. <laughs> 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 Then Peter, as he's getting towards the end of this little section, um, and I mean, he's really packing it in. He has a big old list of sins just before this and another big old list of sins just after it. But in the middle of it all, he says this stuff that we're reading. And he uses four titles normally used for Israel to describe what the church is now. So there's a continuity between what God promised to the people of Israel and what he is now promising uh, to uh, the people of God uh, who follow Jesus uh, in uh, the present. So let's just look at those four titles. It says you're a chosen generation. This refers back to the fact that Abraham uh, and those who were with him uh, were chosen by God to be the carriers of the message uh, from among the tribes. They were raised up to be uh, the ones that carried the mantle of the, the uh, what would you call it, the declaration of who Yahweh uh, uh, was, who the Lord was. It refers to a people, not individuals. Once again, we've got to be careful about our Western individualism that always wants to read every passage in the light of us, as opposed to we. And they were to be his light in the darkness. So God is always raising up generations to be his light in the darkness um, and to keep the, the, the flame of truth alive. He then says, uh, you are a royal priesthood. And we've already uh, looked at this a little bit. But there's other ways to uh, explore that. One is that uh, there is this image or metaphor that goes throughout the scripture of us being uh, God's ambassadors. Um, one point uh, Jesus says, when you welcome a child in my name, I, when a child has come in my name as my ambassador, you are welcoming me. Um, there's this idea that uh, we are made in the image of God. So we are his image carriers. We are his ambassadors uh, in the earth. And the earth, in a lot of the languages of the Bible, is considered the throne room of God. Um, and we're in his throne room and we're living out uh, our role as ambassadors. We're carrying his authority. When we come uh, to uh, refuel and um, a mosaic, and when we get before God on our own, we're standing in his presence. We're saying, here I am, I, I need to tell you some stuff that's happening to me, but I also need to hear uh, from you through the word, through my prayers, through whatever it is. I want to come and stand in your presence. And we go out from his presence to carry his presence everywhere. There's a new book coming out and it talks about scattered servants and how we come together uh, to receive the refilling, rejuvenation, inspiration to go out and be his scattered servants wherever he puts us. In the case of us here, much of the scattering happens in this very building. But it doesn't just happen in this very building. It can happen wherever any of you go because you're carrying his presence. And then the opportunity comes to declare his presence. And this passage refers twice to you know, showing forth or declaring the praises of God. The praises relate quite often to the peace and joy 
uh, that comes through uh, knowing God. So, royal priesthood, those with direct access um, to God, carrying his authority and declaring his presence. Then it says we're a holy nation. Exodus 19 verse 6 is the origin of that. The Israelite nation gathered at Mount Sinai uh, and heard from God. We are now that nation, but we are a nation without borders. This is actually quite a revolutionary concept. You know, let's go and bomb Germany. World War Three. Yeah, but there's a lot of Christians there. We don't care. We hate them. Let's go and bomb them. Well, we can't. There's millions of believers in Germany. And, um, you know, you can slowly work your way around. Oh, let's go and bomb Jeddah. It's full of Saudis. Well, actually, it's full of Filipinos, and it's full of Indians, and it's full of Filipinos meeting in hotels and having church. Almost everywhere we would go in the world, if we started to just do the war thing, we would be killing our own. We are a nation without borders. Um, and the Filipinos and the Jews particularly, uh, they're the two most dispersed nations in the whole uh, of the globe. Um, the Filipinos possibly even more than the Jews. So we are a holy nation. People, I'll just say something a little mildly controversial here. Um, people call Britain a Christian nation. I don't believe it is a Christian nation. I don't believe it's ever been a Christian nation. What I do believe is that it's been full of God's people and that he has blessed them as they've sought to lift up the poor, uh, give education, uh, um, uh, do great work, quality work that other people want to buy and all those kind of things. And uh, that quite often the blessing of God comes upon those in a nation who honour his name, not on the geographical construct that is called France, Germany, Italy, wherever it is. He's looking for a godly people, not just a group of people that happened to be born uh, in a nation that was nominally religious. End of rant. <laughs> Probably get that cut out of the tape, but anyway. Um, and then finally he says, you're my special possession. Uh, in some versions of the Bible, it says, you're my peculiar people. <laughs> now many of us will know that God has some pretty peculiar people. Um, and uh, my, my dad used to tell me this story about this chap who turned up and said, God has sent me, so this family took him in and um, they thought he was only going to stay for a week or two, but he just wouldn't go. And uh, so eventually uh, the kids were able to get access to the roof and they went up there with a megaphone and they shouted down the chimney, John, it's time to go! And um, apparently left later that day. <laughs> The Lord had called him away somewhere else. <laughs> and, um, now, if you live around Essex and Kent, there was actually a denomination called the Peculiar People. Um, and they were quite proud of the name. You know, They weren't ashamed of being called the Peculiar People. Um, and, um, and so, but what does that phrase actually mean to us today? So when you dig back into um, the Greek and the Hebrew that is used there, uh, it seems to relate to this idea uh, of something that people have obtained by a great deal of effort. And so the, the way that we should understand this phrase, my special possession, is that God has gone to extraordinary lengths beyond the normal that, you know, uh, you might be expected to do to make it possible for us. And that extraordinary length was sending his son, Jesus. 
um, and uh, what he did uh, to enable us to conquer the power of sin and death and hell and be forgiven for our rebellion uh, against God. And then my final, finally... Um, You've already had 10 minutes. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Um, uh, relates to this payoff line um, where it says that you are a new people and that you have received mercy. And so what is happening there is that he, Peter is echoing Hosea. And Hosea was uh, the prophet that was called upon to marry a woman of quite loose morals, uh, had kids with her, um, she was unfaithful, it was all deeply stressful. Um, and the comparison was that uh, God was like Hosea and the wife was like the you know, rebellious Israel. Um, but eventually everybody comes around and God says, I'm giving you a new name. Um, and I often preach on this, and some of my biggest responses are when I say, God wants to give you a new name. Whatever you're calling yourself, uh, quite often it's a lie. Um, and God wants to speak into you the truth about who you are, made in his image, uh, and what his desire for you is, and a, a gift and skill that you already have that he wants to multiply. Um, and uh, he wants to stop the inner cursing that many of us do about ourselves, where we're uh, constantly denigrating uh, ourselves and then wondering why we're so stressed. So he's saying to them, Whoever you think you are, you might be a convert from Galatia, you might be uh, an Israelite who feels a bit rebellious for joining this Christian group. What, whoever you think you are, you're a part of my people now, and you have received mercy. So, let me send you away with some questions. One is, who are you? Oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm Lee Botting, I'm, I'm Steve Bladell. You know, but who are you? That's your name, but who are you? Second question, what is the story that shapes your life? Are we living by accident, or are we living uh, with intent and purpose? Uh, which uh, this passage speaks quite a bit of. What is our cornerstone? You know, we can sometimes be a, bit, a little bit like conditional God type stuff. Sort me out, and I'll follow you. Um, uh, and you know, as opposed to you're the king of the universe, I am going to follow you. By the way, could you sort me out? <laughs> um, and and so on. What is our cornerstone? And, and one of the things we need to do there is to dig deep into Jesus, because we don't want our cornerstone just to be a couple of little statements. Oh, oh, I've been a bit bad. Oh, God's forgiven me. Oh, good, I'm all right now. Um, the story is much deeper and wider than that. We used to sing a song about yes. that. <laughs> Which I won't regale you with now, but, you know, deep and wide, deep and wide. What's the rest of it go? Deep and wide. There's a fountain flowing. Say again? There's a fountain flowing. Oh, that one. Oh, yes. Jump right in, lose your sin. Oh, no, we were wide. Oh, it's the one. Oh, it's the one. Oh, it's the Highest Well, we've already started our worship time here. Follow the lead. <laughs> so I'm worthy. Still, I'm a child of his care. For his love teaches me. I was worth teaching. His love reaches everywhere. For those of you that are recent converts. To Christianity, listening to the tape. Uh, that's an old Christian 
ping song from 1950-something or other. Possibly earlier than that. Right, finally, where do you belong? Because the thing about this passage is, it describes our spiritual growth uh, as being part of a community. So, who are you? What's your cornerstone? Where do you belong? What's your purpose? Let's pray, shall we? Dear Lord, we thank you that we can be cornerstones for you in our street, in our workplace, in our set of associations, in our community. And that we can build something, you can build something by your Holy Spirit. When we are building on the foundation of who you are. Lord, help us as we get that story straight in our minds uh, and help us to share about who you are and what you've done and what you desire for men and women, boys and girls, in our culture and our society. Dear Lord, shine upon us by the power of your Holy Spirit that each one of us as individuals and all of us together as a group uh, might be a place where you dwell uh, and out of that dwelling, out of the words of wisdom and words of knowledge, the works of the Holy Spirit uh, in our lives, out of the work that you are already doing in the lives of those who do not know you as yet, that we will be a means where salvation comes to many. Lord, we ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen.